I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 95, I almost lost track of what number I'm on, episode 95, in which we played with a long arm machine. And I am recording this, I have no idea what day it is, it's Monday, June 25th, I believe. Um, and any moment now, I hope my daughter's going to call me down for dinner. She's making dinner tonight, which allowed me all sorts of time to finish working on the baby quilt. I shouldn't say finish working on. I made way significant progress on the baby quilt. All I've got left to do are the borders, so I've decided um, I'm not going to do any more sewing tonight because I have been relatively successful in all my sewing endeavors so far. So who wants to push their luck at that point? I'm at a good stopping point, so I'm going to stop. And I thought I'd put together a podcast episode tonight, and then I will finish my borders tomorrow. I first off want to say thank you so much for listening. To those of you who are new listeners especially, welcome. And I am so glad you've joined us. For those of you who have been around the block a few times with Quilting for the Rest of Us, I want to say thank you to you as well. Really appreciate the time that you spend with me. Not quite every week, you know, on a semi-regular basis. I also want to say thank you for your reviews on iTunes. I was just noticing the other day, last time I checked, that I am very close to a nice round number on star reviews. So if you feel so moved and would like to make it a nice round number, please do go over to iTunes and at least leave a star review if you don't want to take the time to leave a written review, but written reviews are always nice as well. Really appreciate that. All of us podcasters really appreciate having the reviews on iTunes. So in today's episode, it's a little bit of a mishmash of stuff. I'm hoping it doesn't get too long. I'm going to try to keep it fairly brief because, you know, it's summer. I don't know what that has to do with keeping it brief. It just feels like I should podcast less long in the summer months. In any case, I'm going to be talking about the long arm experience I just had last week. I'm going to talk about something I ordered from Etsy that I want to give a shout out to the creator for. And I'm going to do a couple of book reviews and we have some, oh gosh, Oh, I hope we've got some listener comments. Um, okay, so I've actually recorded this episode before. You just didn't get to hear it because I had some problems. I had not turned off all my electronics before I started recording, so there were occasional bloops and bleeps and all that kind of stuff of, you know, me getting messages and emails and all that kind of randomness. So this time I've gotten better about turning everything off. And then I also, I just felt like I got a little bit rambly. So that was last week. Uh, actually the day after the long arm class. So I was on fire and I had all this great stuff to say. Uh, and But after, I, when I was listening back to it, I thought, oh, I don't need to say that much. So <laughs> I put it away and of course then ended up with a really busy weekend. So it ended up taking longer for me to get an episode out. But hopefully this one will be ever so much more worth the wait. All that's to say, I did do listener comments now that I think of it last week. And I may have, unfortunately already deleted all of those comments. I'll have to uh, check my email after I'm done eating dinner and see whether I still have those. Okay, let's let's get to 
life. A quick Sandy update on the quilting front. Yes, I am um, working on that baby quilt still. I have finally, I've gotten all the centerpiece tonight and then I've just got the borders to do and the borders won't take long at all because I'm not doing anything fancy. I'm just doing a narrower, dark inner border and then a slightly wider print fabric outer border. Nothing piece, nothing mitered. It's just getting put together because it is a baby quilt and I expect it will be drooled on and all sorts of other bodily functions. So, you know, I'm not going to do anything super fancy. I just want it to look really cute for the mom when she first opens it. And then, you know, whatever happens to it from there won't break anybody's heart. Uh, it is cute though. It's, I designed it in EQ7, but you know, the word designed is very usefully used because it's all half square triangles. So all I did was decide how I was going to color them, really. It was that simple, So, but it's worked up cute, and I've enjoyed that. The one twist on it this time is I get to play with a new little tool, gadget, I don't know what I'd call this, kind of a design board. So a friend of ours, a woman in our guild, made herself the big foam board design walls for her sewing room. And I don't remember what all the measurements were she used. She kind of ran through it one night and said, well, I used this size of foam board and I did this kind of flannel, whatever. But she ended it with saying, I have some um, kind of a, basically a two foot, not quite square. It's a little wider than it is long. But end pieces, would anybody interested, be interested in having a small design board? I threw my arm up in the air. Yes, please. My design wall is probably 10 to 12 feet away from my sewing my sewing table, which in most cases isn't a big deal. But if I'm working with something where I'm trying to keep track of placement of a lot of blocks, it's a lot easier to be able to put them onto something smaller like that and then move them over to my um, sewing table, sewing cabinet, and work on them a little bit at a time. So I'm kind of a little bit doing the chunking thing, the way that, you know, Jay has talked about and Francis has talked about chunking, but not so much because I don't like doing long seams. I do long seams all the time, so that doesn't bother me. I've never really had a problem with it. It's just in this case, it's the <laughs> the quilt design works out very nicely so that I was able to do it in essentially six pieces altogether. So each time I, I was able to fit I think it was a row of four across and three down of these half square triangles on my little design board. Go put that chunk together into a rectangle, put that back on the design wall, move over, do the next one. And then I sewed those two together and then I dropped down to the next set. So I did, you know, the outside row on one side and the next row on the other side and then sewed those two together. So at the end, I had these three distinct, you know, each third of the baby quilt horizontally divided. And so then I just did those last two seams. And I don't know that it went any faster or, you know, it certainly made no difference in terms of accuracy, but it was nice to have that board that I could ferry it back and forth on. Plus, the other thing I was able to do is I have the uh, Fonz and Porter directional arrow pins, you know, with the little flags on top that say left or right. Actually, they say L or R or U or D for up or down. And those are very useful for keeping track because I'm really bad at this remembering which way to press your seams so that you get the nice meshing seams when you're putting units together. And what I was able to do then is put those pins into the pieces on my design wall and then just transfer it to this board and stick the pins right into the board as I'm walking across the, the room. So that was very helpful too. So um, Mary, who does not listen to this podcast, to the best of my knowledge, thank you, Mary, for the little design board thing. That really helped on that. Like I said, tomorrow night, I've got the borders to put on, and then I'm just sort of debating whether or not I'm going to take it over and use that as my next segment of long arming, but I'll get to that in a minute. 
Another quick shout out I want to give in terms of updates is, as I said, I ordered something from Etsy. Uh, Jean of Quilted Cupcake Podcast also has an Etsy shop, Quilted Cupcake, and she has jewelry rolls. And I remember her talking about these on her podcast episode several months ago now. And they are cloth, um, kind of organi- they're organizational fabric rolls, R-O-L-L-S, f- to uh, put jewelry in for traveling. And I have used a variety of methods to pack jewelry when I'm traveling. And I've yet to find one that's really successful because most store-bought, manufactured jewelry solutions for traveling um, do not work for thick, chunky necklaces. They mostly work for thin chains. And I don't have a lot of thin chains. I have a couple, but most of my necklaces, especially for summer months, are kind of the big, chunky, kind of funky stuff. And so I had problems fitting those into any sort of um, store-bought type solution. And I do like to travel with jewelry, particularly when I'm traveling professionally, because that can really dress up an outfit. You can wear essentially the same outfit twice in a row and change out your necklace as long as it's an eye-catching enough necklace and distinctive enough, and you can almost get away with wearing the same outfit twice. You know, it looks a lot the same. So when I heard her talking about this on her podcast, I thought, well, you know, I should really check that out. And so a few weeks ago, I went on to her Etsy shop and decided that's pretty cute. And you can choose what fabric. She has uh, maybe 15 fabrics that you can choose from, um, and she will make it. And it came remarkably fast. I think I had it within seven days or so. I should have written it down how fast it came to me. Uh, And it was so cute. It was, you know, in the box that it came in, it was sort of wrapped in tissue paper. And then it had a couple of other little gifty kinds of things with a little crocheted Um, flower that I'll be able to use as an embellishment on a quilt and everything was just really well done. So Jean, shout out to you. That was not just the jewelry roll itself, but the packaging was quite nice. And I love this jewelry roll. It's really very well done. It's got loops at the top that you can string your um, necklaces through. I don't have it sitting in front of me. I did take pictures of it. I will post pictures somewhere um, on my blog. I think it's six loops across the top and that you can put necklaces in, so you can string two in one loop if you want to. And then it's got this little ribbon that comes across that you tie over the top of all the necklaces to help hold them in place when you then roll them. And you can also stick your earrings through the ribbon of those loops. So you can keep your earrings with the necklaces that they belong to all on that same loop. Then there's another little strap that comes out with Velcro that's good for holding watches or bracelets. Um, rings, if they are wide enough, there there is a piece of Velcro at the very end of it that's kind of stiff. So if you had a very small ring, it would be hard to bend that Velcro enough, I think, to get the ring through it. I don't, you know, other than my wedding and engagement ring, I don't really wear a lot of rings. So that's not an issue for me. I did have a couple of bracelets on it. And then it's got two zipper pockets at the bottom. So again, you can put your rings in there. Or I had a couple of necklaces that were a little bit more fragile that I wasn't sure I wanted them knocking around with the big clunky necklaces that I, you know, had through the loops. And then you just roll it all up and it ties with another ribbon that's on the outside. It's really nicely made. It's very professional looking. It is, the colors are just adorable. The ribbons she chose to go with the fabric that I'd asked for. Really cute. I love this thing. I really love this thing. 
It's already been on a trip with me. It will go on my um, two-week extravaganza business trip coming up in July. So, again, shout out to Jean of Quilted Cupcake and her jewelry roll from her Etsy shop. Uh, I will put a link to her Etsy shop on the show notes this episode. And if you're particularly looking for the jewelry roll, just go, you know, scroll through her shop. And if I get a chance, I will also put the pictures I took of my jewelry roll loaded with some jewelry. Uh, so you can kind of see how it works in my blog. Okay, let's talk about the long arm experience. Oh, I had so much fun, so much fun. I'm not going to go into details about how to long arm here. Uh, I'm not going to go into details about how to long arm because I am, you know, just very baby steps here. And also other podcasters have done that. Scientific Quilter, Darla, um, did a whole episode on her long arm class. And, you know, if you know how to long arm, you don't need me to tell you how to do it. And if you don't know how to long arm, I'm not sure I could adequately describe it verbally um, for you. And like I said, uh, Darla Scientific Quilter has already done that. I'm just going to tell you, if you haven't tried this and you have the opportunity to do it, do it. It was so much freaking fun. So we have a quilt shop. It's probably about 20 minutes from me, depending on traffic, maybe half an hour. Uh, that has several long arm machines that you can rent time on and they do classes and things, but I've not been able to fit any of their classes into my schedule. So my friend Lori and I decided we both wanted to learn this and, and do it together. And so last Thursday night, we were able to both get there at the same time. We got there at um, six o'clock at night and you basically, the time that you, you pay for the rental time and then there's a staff person there who just shows you how to do it for the first time if you've never done it before. And so, um, our staff person, I got there a little bit behind Lori uh, because I got stuck in traffic. So Lori was all set up or at least had gotten shown how to get set up before I got there. And then there was another woman who was using one of the other machines. Um, so the staff person was kind of jumping between us because the way they have it set up at this shop, only staff people can thread machines or change bobbins. So if you run out of bobbin, the staff person has to come over, refill a bobbin, give it to you and thread it. If your thread breaks or if you have to change threads, the staff person has to rethread the machine for you. So that kind of slowed things up a little bit. Um, the other woman seemed to be having some sort of problems with her machine. So the staff person was having to spend a lot of time with her. Uh, so when I first got there, I basically helped Lori get her quilt loaded onto her machine and kind of get her as she got started. And then um, we got there at six and the place closed at eight. Seven o'clock, I'm still not on a machine because the staff person is spending so much time with this other person. And I think at one point she may have even forgotten that I kind of had to get on a machine. Now I had a very small project with me. I was using a UFO. It's just a, a wall hanging that I think measures something like 40 by 40 inches. And I just was going to do a meander. So I knew this thing was not going to take me long. That's why I chose it. You know, I figured it would be a low stress, no real big time crunch, nothing fancy. You know, this is a great way for me to just get used to using the machine. So I think the staff person did kind of, you know, put me low on the totem pole in terms of getting set up. But finally at seven o'clock, I just picked up my fabric and walked over to a machine and said, okay, so how do I load this on? You know, kind of like, hello, I'm over here. And so then she came over and we got me loaded on, which took almost no time at all, because again, it's very small. And just a very quick description to get loaded on, you pin your quilt to one roller and then you pull it over and then you pin the other side of it to the other roller or you do the backing and then you do the, the top. And then depending on how your long arm is set up, you either then roll the um, batting in or you have to kind of cram it in and smooth it out. The, the one I was on, I had to kind of cram it in and smooth it out because the one of the rollers didn't actually flip up out of the way. 
those of you who have long armed know what I'm talking about. Um, so it took the only thing that took a little bit of time was cramming my batting under, you know, in between these two layers and then trying to reach in there and get everything smoothed out so I wouldn't inadvertently quilt a wrinkle into it. But even that wasn't a big deal, you know, especially because this was not a big quilt. Had I been working on a bed size quilt, I think that would have driven me nuts. Um, so part of what's nice about doing this at a local quilt shop is you get to test out this shop had at least two different brands, I think actually three different brands, three different types of long arms. So if you were thinking about buying one, this is a good way to test out different things and get used to what kind of features you want to look for. I already know one thing I would look for, flipping up those rollers, <laughs> making sure you can do that, because boy, that would be a pain on a big queen size quilt to be having to cram that batting in there. Anyway, so I finally got going and she, you know, since I had already watched her do everything with, um, my friend Lori, I already kind of knew, okay, I've got to baste it this way and I've got to do this, these couple of steps first and then start quilting. Um, so my machine did work a little bit differently. So she gave me a very quick, you know, tutorial about how the controls worked, but it was not complicated at all. So I was able to just rock and roll. Now the problem I then had was the thread kept breaking and neither she nor I could figure out what was going on because it did not break, you know, consistently when I did a certain thing. It just kept snapping. And she did say a couple times, oh, we've been having this problem with this machine. And I felt like saying, well, then why did you, you know, let me load on it? There was another machine still empty. But she then, you know, she said, well, the person in front of you didn't have a problem like this, but who knows what kind of design the person in front of me was doing? You know, I don't know. But that slowed me up too, because again, every time my thread broke, I had to wait for her to come over and thread it. Even after watching her do it two or three times, I then knew how to thread the darn thing. I was not allowed to do it myself. So I did not actually get my quilt done. I could have easily gotten it done had the thread not cut breaking. No problem. I was so close to being done by the time the shop, you know, actually finally had to close. And they were nice. I mean, they let us go right until 8 o'clock and even maybe five minutes after because Lori was kind of in the middle of a pattern that they they let her finish. So the other woman and I both got our own quilts off. And then once Lori was done, we all whipped over and we we're all unpinning her <laughs> as fast as possible so that we could all go home. None of us were able to go back the next day. They did offer to let us leave our, you know, things pinned on the machines. If we were able to go back first thing the next morning, none of us could. So we all had to unpin. I just brought mine home and finished it off. I've already finished the quilting because like I said, it had so little left to do. It was only a meander and it's only a 40 inch square thing. So it was not a problem to do it on my home machine. The only thing I found was I was doing a meander, like I said, and on the long arm, you can tell where I switched from long arm to home machine because the meander was larger on the long arm. And then when I'm on the small machine, it's smaller just because of the way you're moving. You're naturally moving in a smaller design when you're doing it with your hands at your domestic machine. Now, nobody else would notice. Nobody else would even care. I can see it, but it's not a big deal to me because this that quilt's also, I think, going to end up being a baby quilt for somebody. But in any case, I, I just wanted to say I, I just had a ball. I really enjoyed the process of using the long arm. I can see the possibilities of what I could do on a long arm that are much harder. It's much harder to do on my domestic. And it's not just size. I mean, yes, I, I cannot stand quilting anything bigger than a wall hanging on my domestic machine. And I've got a great setup for it. I've got one of those sewing cabinets, you know, with the drop down. It's a flush, um, 
top with my sewing machine. It's got the, uh, I'm losing words. It's got the thing that flips up in the back. So I've got nice support as my machine's coming or my quilt's coming off the machine. I've got an extra thing that comes out on the side that I can put in to support it there. It's a, it's a beautiful cabinet. It works wonderfully for a domestic setup, but larger quilts are just a pain. You know, I know a lot of people do them, but they're a pain. <laughs> so you know, just in terms of doing larger quilts, I don't know that I, in, even Lori was saying this, I'm never doing one of these on my home machine again. You know, she's ready to go right back in there with another UFO of hers to uh, finish it up. The other thing that I found really interesting is your your perspective is totally different. So when you're doing free motion quilting on your home machine, you're moving the paper, not the pencil. So if you think of your, you know, your needle as the pencil, you're moving the paper underneath the pencil. Whereas with the long arm, you're moving the pencil. Now, granted, it's a honking big pencil with two handles that you're, you know, manhandling. And actually, you're not manhandling because these things move so smoothly. In fact, you could probably just do it with one finger, you know, kind of move it around. But you're, so you're, it's more of a, to me, it felt more intuitive, you know, that, okay, I know where I have to go next because I'm moving the pencil, not the paper. Whereas when I'm doing my, my free motion quilting on my domestic, I have to kind of think in reverse because I'm moving the paper, not the pencil. Now, obviously, you get used to whatever you're doing just with practice. But I did find myself thinking, you know, I wonder if some of the free motion quilting designs that I've been practicing for so long wouldn't feel easier to me if I did them on the long arm. So I really want to do more kind of trial runs on the long arm, and I want to play with some more different kinds of things to see whether it feels better to me on a long arm than a domestic. Now, mind you, I am not saying I'm never going to quilt on my domestic again. Obviously, I'm going to quilt on my domestic again. I won't always have time to get over to the shop to to rent the time to have something done in my schedule or whatever. But it is, it's an intriguing possibility for me. So I really enjoyed my time, had a blast, can't wait to do it again. Unfortunately, I'm not sure Lori and I will be able to do it again together because we're having problems with getting our schedules together. And, you know, obviously that was part of the fun too, that you're there with somebody you know and you're kind of goofing around as you're doing it, you know, that kind of thing. But I just, I really enjoyed using that long arm. So again, if you have the opportunity, if you've got a quilt shop near you that you can rent time and get shown how to use it and just play around with it, bring a UFO, bring something, even just a piece of fabric and, you know, backing without any plan just to play just to see if you like it first of all it's always good to try new things i'm always big on that but secondly you may find out you really like it and although yes you have to pay per hour um and different quilt shops have different rates and different areas of the country run different rates too you know it's still it's less expensive than sending it out for somebody else to do Although, obviously, when you're sending it out for somebody else to do, you're getting their experience. But for me, there are still some things I will probably send out to do. There are some things I will still do on my home domestic machine. But knowing that I have this other option is just really cool. So I just had a good time with that. Just wanted to share. All right, I'm going to throw in a couple of very quick book reviews here, and hopefully I can keep them quick. Um, I got a boatload of books out of the library the other day. I have mentioned before that I think I've got the best public library in the world in terms of quilt stuff. I know others of you may argue with me on that, but we have a very small little country town village library, and it's got an amazing quilt section. <laughs> According, you know, what do they call it per capita? Or, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but because I haven't eaten dinner yet, I can still smell it cooking. But, you know, given the size of the library, it has an amazing 
uh, quilting section and so some days I just get in the mood to treat myself and I'll go over and just grab a bunch of stuff off the shelf. So I'm still working my way through some of the books, but a couple I wanted to talk about in particular. I am, as you know, I struggle a little bit with K-Facet. I know that K-Facet's all that in a bag of chips to some people, and there are some particular K-Facet fabrics I like, and certainly a lot that I can see, um, you know, possibilities of how to use them, even if I don't particularly like that fabric as a fabric. You picture it cut up in a variety of ways, and it would be really useful to have in the stash. Quilt designs I struggle with a little bit more. A lot of them tend to be far too busy for me. They don't give me enough places for my eyes to rest. So periodically I will get a K-Facet book out of the library or something and, and just try to see if if I can understand why to a lot of people he's all that in a bag of chips. So I got out the book K-Facet's Quilts in Sweden, which is one of the newer books. It was published in 2011. Um, the quilt photos are all taken in an outdoor museum in Stockholm called Skansen, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know, period houses, schoolhouses, farms, townhouses, churches, things like that, all taken from all over the country and put into this one, I call them living history museums or outdoor museums. And, you know, they have people dressed in period costume, that kind of thing. Um, the scenery in this book was just gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> it was if you like to travel, you want to get this book out, even if you can't stand K-Facet, the scenery was gorgeous. As you know, as I would expect in any quilt book, actually, some of the quilts I liked better than others. I was actually surprised to find several quilts I did really like. And like I said, I've often not liked K-Facet quilts. And in this book, there were several that I really liked. Now, I had gotten this book out right before Lori and I did our long arm class. And I know she's a big K-Facet fan. So she and I were talking while we were long arming about this book and about K-Facet. And she mentioned something that really started me thinking. She said, um, you know, she pointed out how different a quilt looks depending on the setting of the picture that is taken. Um, as And she was pointing this out in terms of another K-Facet book, and I can't remember which one she mentioned now, that was taken, sounds like, in kind of similar settings, you know, kind of in these period homes or whatever. And I realized that a lot of the facet, K-Facet quilt designs, quilts I've seen are done in magazines or in blogs or whatever, and there's a lot of tchotchke around. And so the picture itself is kind of busy, and then the quilt is busy, and so I just, it kind of turns me off. But in this book, in the Quilts in Sweden book, they were all on very clean and spare backgrounds, many of the backgrounds almost red as solid. You know, they're like a log cabin kind of walls so that when you're looking at the quilt hanging on these walls you're seeing mostly just kind of brown there's obviously texture and pattern to the brown but it's kind of reading as solid compared to the quilt so the settings themselves kind of provided a restful border so to speak for your eyes to rest around these busy quilts so that made me actually like some of these quilts better than i might have liked them had i seen them in a different setting also often I think magazines and blogs skew to some of the busiest of his designs, and many of the designs in the book actually aren't all that busy, so I'm not sure I've I've really seen a fair cross-section of K-Facet designs. Now, that being said, what I really, really liked about this book were not the quilt patterns at all. I mean, I, there were some I liked, some I didn't. I would not buy this book for the patterns myself. What I really enjoyed was the very beginning of the book, there were two or three pages where it actually describes his process. It has pictures of the some of the quilts in the book in process on the design wall, and it shows how they changed over time. Here's where it started out. Here's where we switched up some of these fabrics. Here's how it ended up. 
that's exactly what I've been talking about, as you've heard me say in other quil- in other book reviews, where I've read a lot of art quilters books where they talk about process. But I kept saying, where is that in the other pattern and design books? You know, in the traditional or the modern, you don't hear about process. Finally, here's a book that's kind of your, you know, standard quilt pattern book. It's all about the quilt patterns and and the quilt designs. And the designs are, you know, kind of traditional and or modern. He really blurs the line between the two. But he talked about process. And I really enjoyed those first two, three pages. I really enjoyed getting a peek into his mind and also finding out that he actually designs a lot like me. I suppose I should say I design a lot like him without having known it. He he's made do kind of a loose sketch, at least this is the way it was presented in this book, and I'm sure he changes kind of depending on what he's working on. But the the um author who was writing this section is actually the woman, the quilter who really quilted most of the quilts, um, but she's not the one that's in the US. She I don't remember her name now, sorry. Uh, I'll put a link to the book so you'll be able to find it in the blog. Anyway, she's the one that actually kind of executes his vision. But she says he'll show up at her house with things sketched out on napkins and the backs of envelopes <laughs> and stuff, and then they figure out how to make it work. So he basically, in some cases, will just start cutting pieces out of the fabric, throw them on the design wall, see what works, and then move on. Rather than, you know, very intricately figuring out to every last detail on paper exactly what he needs to cut and where it's going to go. He does it, he sees how it's coming together and changes on the fly. And and I love that. I really love that. So I enjoyed so much. The first two, three pages of the book made the book for me. Um, There are, I don't remember how many patterns in there, but quite a few patterns. So if you're a K-Facet pattern hound, you will want this book. Otherwise, you know, like I said, I got it out of my library, so you can probably find it in your library too. I did really like this book. It is not one I feel the need to own, but I did enjoy reading. Like I said, that process part was really significant to me. And the scenery, gorgeous. So that's Kay Facet's Quilts in Sweden, published in 2011, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes in this episode. The other book I'm going to talk about briefly is called The Art Quilt by Penny McMorris and Michael Kyle. And this is a much older book. It was published in 1986. This book steps back in time to when the art quilt movement had really only been around for a few years. They they really, um, according to this book, the art quilt movement really kind of started in the late 60s and then was gaining speed in the 70s or so. And by 86, it was clearly still kind of a new thing, but it was more established at that point. I really enjoyed the fact that this was a book about art quilts that put those quilts in the context of the entire art world and cultural history at the time. So it talked about how all of this was developing at the same time, how the art quilting related to women's movement, to pop art, to the revival of quilting in the 1970s around the bicentennial here in the U.S., and so forth. Art quilt books now, the ones that are being published now, tend to more often deal with an individual art quilter's process or, you know, they're like design books that I've been reviewing and reading a lot of where they use the art quilts to uh, illustrate design principles, that kind of thing. But they're not so much an overview of the genre as a genre. I'm sorry, that's probably more a literary term. I don't know if that's an art term, um, but I'm going to use it as one anyway. <laughs> uh, I was an English major in college, so that's the word that I know. But anyway, this this book really deals with 
an overview, but that shows you how far the art quilt has come. That now they don't feel so much like they have to explain and put things in context. This book is uh, definitely more of a, shall we call it an apologetic, to throw another literary academic term on you, for art quilting. And now, those of you who aren't familiar with the term, an apologetic is not an apology. Uh, that's actually, they probably have the same root word, I'm sure, but an, apo a, an apologetic is um, actually a defense of a concept or an idea or something in speech or writing. Uh, it's kind of part definition, part argument, part persuasion. Uh, this book very much had that feel for it, uh, to me, that it's kind of an apologetic for art quilting. It was defending the art quilt in some ways. And so I realized that, you know, in 1986, art quilts were still pretty new on the quilting in the quilting world. And I think now they've gotten um, a little more generally accepted. There's obviously still some people who don't feel that art quilts are real quilts, but the, I think those people are probably far fewer now than what they were in 1986. I did have to chuckle a couple times when I, I was reading some of the statements about the controversy between art quilters and traditional quilters of the time, um, because if you just change up some of the words, you could almost have those same statements verbatim now about the conversations around what modern quilting is and is not, juxtaposing modern quilting to traditional quilting and so forth. Uh, it just, you know, things, it, no matter how much they change, they stay the same, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, I did also enjoy, there was one part where they were referring to how crazy quilts were considered controversial and experimental when they first hit the scene back in the 1880s or 90s or whenever that was. Uh, the, there's a quote, for all of today's quilt makers, the past century's controversies are mere footnotes in the story of the quilt's steady development as a medium of artistic expression. The controversies of today may seem just as irrelevant 50 years from now, they said. And, you know, that someday I'll do an episode on my own thoughts about modern quilting. I just haven't time, taken the time to organize those particular thoughts yet. That may be because, you know, I don't feel the need to particularly define myself one way or the other. So what the definition is of modern quilting versus traditional quilting doesn't really affect my daily life, so I just haven't spent a lot of time trying to come up with that neat definition for myself. I know that, yes, the Modern Art Quilt Guild put out this is the definition of modern quilting, but as we can tell, as we know from history, it's rarely the people who are in the middle of a movement that define the movement. It's usually people who are writing about it 20, 30 years later that define it. So that will be interesting to watch how that involves it. It's interesting to follow conversations, see how something develops. And like I said, reading this book about art quilting just kind of put me in mind of that, that whenever anything new comes on the scene, there's all these, you know, kind of people up in arms about it and about whether that's really whatever it's supposed to be versus, well, you know, actually it can be new. The people who are in that are putting themselves up and against what came before. That's all human nature. That happens every time. Uh, when I was watching the Great Courses lecture series on Impressionist art, which I've talked about in previous episodes, uh, that was much the same thing that the early Impressionists had for themselves their own sense of what Impressionism meant. And they set themselves over and against the um, art, the accepted art community at the time as represented by the Salon uh, in, in Paris. And, you know, they said that what they were doing was different and better. And here we are kind of, we're the rebels, etc. And then even within their community, it started kind of splintering off as to who defined their art in certain ways. And then some of their artists 
uh, went off and actually exhibited in the salon. And that was a big controversy in the Impressionist group because, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're going back to those people we've tried to work against for so many. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, again, the more things change, the more they stay the same. That, that, that this is human nature. This is group process. This is historical process. This is cultural process. That doesn't mean I'm belittling it or dismissing it. It's just interesting to watch, I guess. <laughs> I enjoy watching human beings um, being human. That's always kind of fun. But anyway, back to this book, The Art Quilt. Uh, the first probably maybe quarter to a third of the book is this historical context, very text heavy. It does have some images and things in it, but it's mostly kind of this apologetic, like I said, um, the defense of the art quilt and exploring where the art, the genesis of the art quilt and how it's evolved over the years up until the book was published in 1986. And then the rest of it is an actual gallery um, of art quilts that were kind of making news at that time period. And, uh, I'm now in the gallery part. It is, it's, you know, in that respect, it's a lovely book. It's, it, again, even in the art quilt world, just like any quilt world, the fabrics are dated, the colors are dated, um, but it's still, you know, gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous stuff. And if you are, um, you know, looking for art quilt inspiration, you will certainly find this in this book. I might have to buy this book because I, I just found it so fascinating from an historical perspective. Uh, it's, it is history. It's quilt history. It's art history. It's kind of regular history, you know, human history. I even found Francis of Off Quilt or Quiltist been periodically mentioning the psychology of quilting in her podcast. You know, I felt like I was reading some psychology of quilting in, in this book. So it's it's just really, really interesting. So if you can get your hands on this book, if you're interested in quilt history, if you're interested in human history, art history, any of those things, I would recommend giving this book a read. It's a, it's a commitment. Like I said, it's text heavy. Our books have gotten less and less text with each passing year, more and more pictures. Um, the older books have a lot more text. So you really have to sit down and read it, but they are definitely worthwhile. So again, that's The Art Quilt by Penny McMorris and Michael Kyle, K-I-L-E, 1986. I will put a link to it in the show notes if indeed I can find a link to it. I don't know that it's still in print. Like I said, I got out of the library. I haven't looked on Amazon yet um, to see if there's a link, but I'll see if I can find one. So those are my book reviews. I've still got a stack of books um, on that I haven't gotten through yet, so you might be hearing a few more from me. Let me pause and see whether I do actually have any of my listener comments left. Okay, yay for me. I did not delete them. <laughs> that was good. Um, I just want to say thank you. I'm going to do a general shout out to everybody who has left comments on the blog and on podcast episodes. Susan, Lindy, Landscape Lady, Noni, Jackie, Be a Quilter, Tori, Jackie, I don't know if that's the same Jackie or not, because it came to me two different ways. So um, I'm not positive. If there's two Jackies out there, thank you to both of you. Amy, Laura, Margaret, Quilt and Jenny, um, Jane, Mary Hall, AJ Dub, not the same AJ as Nitty AJ. Uh, let's see, there's Jackie again. Jay, and I think that's it. I mean, some of you commented several times. I want to give a special thank you to those of you who have been playing around with me on Total Color Tuesday. That's the other thing I've got to get done tonight is get tomorrow's um, post ready, which means I get to play with my fabric again. Uh, those of you who have not been following Total Color Tuesday, all it is is I am using a... Um, I believe it's called Color Magic for Quilters book that walks you through it using the color wheel for a variety of color harmonies. And many of them are color harmonies that are not 
on the beaten trail. They're not the ones you are used to hearing about. And so each week I describe what one of these color harmonies are. Color schemes is another word for them. And then just using what's in my stash, I try to pull together fabrics that would illustrate that color harmony. And depending on what the color harmony is, sometimes I'll do two or three examples. Um, sometimes it's all I can do to pull one out. <laughs> that was uh, This past week was what I called fivesies, which is um, five analogous colors side by side. And I actually am now one of the other tweaks I'm doing on my Total Color Tuesdays. There are two different versions of the color wheel. There's the standard one we're used to seeing, um, generally speaking, the 12-pointer. That's got your primary colors, red, yellow, blue, and then your secondary colors and your tertiary colors. That's the 12-pointer. That's the one we're all most used to seeing everywhere. Um, however, Joan Wolfram, who is a quilt designer, uh, makes a very good case for using what's called the CMYK uh, color wheel. Those of us who are used to internet and web design kind of stuff, that's the color wheel that web designers use. CMYK stands for, let's see if I can remember this, cyan, magenta, yellow, oh, and I don't remember the K. I never do. Anyway, um, it's a color wheel that's, according to the physics of light, more true to nature is the argument. It's also called the Ives color wheel, I-V-E-S. And if you have seen Joan Wolfram's 3-in-1 color tool, that's the one that fans out like the paint swatches you might get at um, paint stores. That's based on the CMYK color tool. So what I'm doing now, every week that I go through the Total Color Tuesday out of the Quilt Magic for Quilter, or Color Magic for Quilters book, I then use both of those color wheels to see if it makes a difference which color wheel I'm using um, for that color harmony. And this week on Fivesies was the first week I really noticed a difference because the CMYK color wheel has 24 colors. So obviously when you're choosing five side-by-side -side colors when you've got 24 to choose from versus when you've got 12 to choose from does make kind of a significant difference as to what that span is. So, I, oh, and then the other thing of the Total Color Tuesdays is once I've done that, then I put a linky up there for anybody else who wants to play to um, link to their blog with their own pictures. And a few folks have been doing it very consistently. Um, Jackie and Noni have done it, I think, every single week. Uh, Landscape Lady um, has been there a couple times. Jay's been there a couple times. AJ Dub has been there a couple times, if not every time at this point. I don't have all the week's worth of comments in front of me right now. So you can not only read my blog, but then you can link, you can look at everybody else's blogs as well and travel through all of our blogs playing with these color schemes. I'm having a great time doing it. I'm learning a lot doing it. Uh, many of us have been in our blogs as we've been doing these have been talking about do we actually yank out the color wheel every time we have to design a quilt? Well, no, but I will say what doing this is making me much more aware of color schemes. And if I'm having problems with a quilt design, I am more likely now to say, well, let me take a look at the color and let me see what's going on with this. Um, for me, the other thing it's done is really helped me get to know my stash. Um, I am finding gaps in my stash every time I try to do anything with yellow or orange. <laughs> First of all, I have very little yellow or orange, but I'm also getting to play with my fabrics. I don't have that large a stash, but still, when your fabric is stacked, you know, on top of each other, you don't always get to look at every piece of fabric. And going through and trying to pull fabrics for these color schemes, I'm really getting to, um, I'm getting reacquainted with my stash. So I'm just having a ball, and I really enjoy seeing what other people come up with, and they all leave their own comments as to what they're struggling with and whether or not they even liked it. I think um, Jackie almost threatened my life if I pulled up another analogous. <laughs> 
this thing. And I'm sorry to say, Jackie, I think there are some more coming, if I recall. Um, but that's been a lot of fun. So I do encourage you, if you're not already a follower of quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com, um, do become a subscriber because you will then get to see those Total Color Tuesdays. And there's a lot of chapters in this book, so <laughs> this is going to be going on for a while. Um, and thank you so much to all of you who have been playing along with that, having a great time. Um, Tori commented on episode 94, in which we review more books and a finish, that she said uh, she's still trying to figure out the color stuff, but she says, um, good luck with the CSA. Sadly, I cannot stand the taste of most fruits and veggies, for so it would not work for me. <laughs> she said, if the genie in the bottle ever grants me some wishes, I would ask to like the foods that are good for me and to have the ability to sew a scant quarter inch. And all I can ask, Tori, is in what order would you ask those two things? <laughs> Which one is a little more important to you? I think that's the only ep uh, comment I've actually gotten on an episode. Most of the comments lately have been on the blog. Um, oh, and by the way, Noni often posts additional links in her comments to my blog post. She'll give some more links of things that she found that are related somehow to the blog post. So her um, comments also become great uh, resources as well. So be sure you read all the comments to the um, Total Color Tuesday blogs as well. Mary emailed me to say that we are indeed living parallel lives. So actually what I need to tell you people is this isn't really me giving this podcast. I'm really Mary. Mary's really me. We're, we're just, you know, messing with your minds here. Um, apparently we have many similar things happening at the same time in our lives. I'm kind of reading through the variety of notes. Uh, Amy Laura purchased the book Quilting for Peace after listening to me review it on the podcast. She, she says, it sounds amazing and can't wait to read it. Given the date on this comment, I'm guessing you must already have it by now. So Amy, I'd be really anxious to hear what you think about that book once you read it. Um, again, for those of you who are maybe just starting with this episode, I reviewed the book Quilting for Peace on a previous episode, just last episode, maybe two episodes ago. Really enjoyed it. Connie commented on my Slow Quilt Monday from, oh, two weeks ago last week. I talked about having the bobbin mates that I just bought from Clotilda. Um, I do actually really like them. Unfortunately, they don't fit orophil spools, but I can sort of balance them on the side and get away with it. So they're okay. Oh, and Susan heard me talking about the quarter-inch seam marker ruler I was using from Fonz and Porter, and she was on a shop hop and found one. So um, thank you. I'm glad I could influence you, Susan, and I hope you really enjoyed it. Okay, I think that's all I'm going to do for listener comments this week. Um, it is summer, and more people are outside and listening to podcasts outside and not sitting at their computers, so I think I will not be at all surprised if comments slow down. But do keep talking to us. Do keep talking to us, all of us podcasters. We we really, um, you know, that's like feeding the animals in the zoo or something. <laughs> no, you generally don't want to do that. You do want to feed us. You do want to give us something that we can talk back to because we all really enjoy that. Um, I think that's it for this episode. So you know where you can reach me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads. Um, Seamed Up, Stitch Talk, Tom Spoolery, and Google+. In all of those places, I am Sandy Quilt, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. You can like the Facebook group, Quilting for the Rest of Us group, on Facebook or in Flickr, or in the Big Tent Quiltcast Supergroup, and then the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup. We do also have a Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Seamed Up. There still isn't a lot of discussion going on in groups in Seamed Up. I'm not quite sure what the preventative is. Hope we can change that. I hope you all will start talking to each other there as well. 
all of uh, many of us podcasters do have groups now and seemed up. Um, so join us there and talk to us there too. And let's see. Oh, you can also join the quilting for the rest of us Kiva team. And there are links for all of that and more. Make sure you look at the tabs across the page and find all the other good stuff. I do keep on the show notes for this episode. You can find all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.